Welcome, everybody, to the sixth episode of We All Speak in Poems, if you can believe that or not. Uh, today, I'm very excited to sit down with Sean Seymour, uh, who is half of uh, Lolotone. Uh, how are you? Hey, what's up? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, pretty great. Um, I've been really excited about this podcast ever since I even got the idea and actually started reaching out to people because, like, not only your sample packs, but your music and everything is such, uh, you know, it's just inspiring to listen to. You know, it's really nice hearing people that have happy music in not such a cliche or, or lame <laughs> way. You know what I mean? Like, it's just so it's so refreshing to uh, to hear. But right away, I just want to actually go back to the start of you and your career. Okay. So. Um, I know the first Lola Tone album came out in 2004, right? I uh, maybe <laughs> I think it was a long time ago, but that sounds right. I think, yeah, yeah, I think on Spotify it says that at least. Okay, yeah. Um, I want to know what were you doing, kind of leading up to that? What were you doing before that? Were you still doing music, or were you exploring other things? So before then, I was just like, let's see, 2004. I was still in university then. So before that, like leading up to it, in high school, I was just in lots of bands and stuff with my friends. And mm -hmm. I grew up in a city called Louisville, which is in Kentucky in the U.S. Oh, wow. And it's a small town, but there are a lot of bands there. I don't know, like, if I don't know if so many of them are popular right now, but like in the 90s, there was like Slint and Rodan and lots of like post-rock bands that like really set a vibe for the whole city. So there are lots of like cool events going on and like nice places to play and things like that. So I was like pretty deep into that kind of scene for a while. And then uh, around uh, when I graduated high school, I got like a present, like money present, like from a family, you know, everyone gives like 20 bucks or something. And I put it all together and bought my first cassette four tra uh, eight track. I bought a cassette eight track. And then I was like, oh, okay, I can start recording on my own. Like <laughs> I don't have to be in a van that much. I can try kind of more, weird uh sounds that like you know it's when you're working with a big group of people sometimes it's hard to adventure out right like mm -hmm. people want to keep things going in a certain direction and i always liked trying to do like lots of what ifs like what if we tried this or what if we try that which is hard if you have like four teenage boys in a garage yeah <laughs> like, exactly so i spent like that whole summer just like uh i don't know every night like staying up all night recording lots of like weird sounds with uh, Casio keyboards I bought in the thrift store for like a dollar or something. So wow. that really like led to what I ended up doing 20 something years later right now, I think. <laughs> and then from there, uh, I started doing stuff with art galleries around Louisville, like oh. photography and things like that. And uh, I ended up like soundtracking a lot of the events. So there would be these kind of like art openings. They don't have them here in Japan, but they might have them uh, you're in Canada, right? Yeah, I'm in Toronto. Okay, yeah, Toronto's probably got the same kind of thing. Like, once a month, all the galleries have, like, their big opening weekend, and you can walk from gallery to gallery and see, like, the new show that's going on. Do they have something like that? Maybe. I'm I'm honestly not sure. Oh, uh, yeah. I wish I knew. <laughs> I've, I don't know about right now with, like, corona and stuff, but at the mm -hmm. time, they had that. So I started playing lots of concerts and, like, art galleries which was like a good chance to make something that's just quiet that falls in the background, like 
you don't have to be looked at. Like you yeah. are looking at the art. So like you're just kind of soundtracking it. And that, yeah, you're standing in the corner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like a mixer and some cassettes and <laughs> Casios and things like that, you know, like, <laughs> so uh, what's the same as right now, actually. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but from there, like I kind of got into this, making this kind of song, like this kind of melody and things like that. Wow. Yeah, that's super cool. Uh, I was going to ask too, like what type of music you grew up on. And like you said, there was a big sort of post-rock kind of uh scene where you grew up so were you into that type of music or were you just kind of thrown into it because that's what was around yeah yeah so like growing up in louisville there were lots of like hardcore bands and then Mm -hmm. post hardcore bands post rock band lots of posts i think (laughs) so from there like i went through like the same trajectory i think a lot of people are like when you're like 13 or something you hear like hardcore and like, oh, this really fits with my angst. <laughs> and then like uh, you get a little bit older and like, I want to make noodley sounds on a guitar, you know? <laughs> so I was, I was into everything for a while. The bands I was in were more Not- hardcore. What do you call it? Like noisy around like we played shows with like Melt Banana. Do you know Melt Banana? I'm not They're, like, sure. No. Japanese, uh, really crazy noise, super fast punk band <laughs> like uh i was really into like that and i really liked fugazi oh yeah. you know fugazi yeah fugazi like uh because they were like really experimenting with sounds you know they were making they came from like hardcore but then they made all of these like new sounds you know like even though they're using guitars and basses like i don't know the way they scratched the strings through reverb sounded really special and how yeah. do they do that like really interested yeah for sure like I remember when I first started hearing, you know, the experimentation of post-rock and all the post-bands, like you're saying, I was probably around maybe 16 or 17. Yeah. And so I was late to the party when I was 16 or 17. That was what, like 2014, 2013, maybe. Oh, yeah. And so being able to go back and see all this stuff from, you know, early 2000s, it it opened my mind so much to what's already been done because you don't get to hear much of that, right? Like it's it's crazy. But um, so you're half of Lolotone. The other half is your wife. Yeah. uh, uh, Yoshimi? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Did you guys meet back in the US or did you guys meet in Japan? Yeah. So when I was in the school, in university there, she was an exchange student for a year. So it was a... Sophomore year, uh, wait, I'm trying a long time ago, 2000, 2001, maybe 2001, 2002. Wait, when did the album come out? Did you say 2004? 2004, so maybe 2001 or 2002, like a long time ago. <laughs> and uh, we started dating like immediately, like uh, as soon as like we met, like second day almost. And um, so from that. We, we started a band. She wasn't really into music or anything that much, but I was doing that, this kind of like art openings, I said. There was um, a really cool warehouse where they would have this kind of like alternative art opening kind of shows. That, I don't know. They, were, they weren't really concerts. They were just events. Like there yeah. might be a DJ. There might be a really crazy band or some kind of like performance art kind of thing going on. So we started this uh, not so cool name, but band at the time called music for nintendo it was before there was like lots of chip wave bands but like the idea was to make 
really kind of like <laughs> sounds that sounded like they could fit into a Nintendo at the time oh, because I don't know, it just felt like it was funny to do then, like to play at these kind of like serious art parties. And then all of the lyrics were, she was the singer and all of the lyrics were in Japanese, but they're pretty much nonsense. Like, because we're in Louisville, there was like zero. She was the only person that spoke Japanese in the, in the whole city. I didn't know at the time even. I was just ask her afterwards, like, ah, what does this song mean? And she was like, oh, it's just about brushing your teeth. And then another Amazing. one was... My favorite one was like, what's this? And she said, oh, it's about a mathematician with a headache. <laughs> so, wow. Like, Honestly, you're saying these stuff like, and, and even uh, music for Nintendo. Like, I feel like that could really work now. You know, like that's the sort of name of bands and stuff and even <laughs> mathematician with a headache. Yeah. Like, it's sort of the stuff that's gaining popularity now. I feel like, like it, if oh, that yeah. was continued on. Yeah. You know, that would be... It could have been huge. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are huge, honestly. Um, I'm always, like, surprised just at the amount of people that know you guys. Oh, really? You gotta introduce me. I don't know any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Even just from your sample packs and stuff, like, I feel like Lola Tone in in the scene, in the ambient scene, and uh, or maybe it's just my circle, you know? Everybody knows it. Oh, yeah. Um, well, yeah, but we'll get onto the sample packs later because I have so many questions about about that. But so uh, when did you end up moving to Japan? Was it like when you sort of graduated? Did you just move back with uh, yeah. Yoshimi? Or? So since our schools had the like um, um, exchange program, I could go to her school in Japan for a year afterwards. And oh, cool. yeah, I had no, I wouldn't say interest, no knowledge about Japan until that point. Like, we had been dating for a year and she told me some stuff, but I was still in my own world, like thinking about <laughs> I don't know, just things going on, like everyday life. And then she had to move back and like, okay, I'll go with you. Like, so I worked it out through the school that I could transfer to her school for a year and study there. And then um, it, all the credits would count like towards the university in the US. So from there, like it was my first time Actually, this is my first time going overseas, like when I moved to Japan. Wow. So like, I just like went for it, like the whole <laughs> other side of the world without thinking about it very much. And I didn't speak Japanese yet. I only knew, I think I only knew Arigato, like thanks. I don't know if I knew like Konnichiwa, like hello or anything at the time. <laughs> like, <laughs> wow. But uh, I studied for a year in the university and I like picked it, picked up a lot, you know, like that's the best yeah. way to do it. Like studying every day that's amazing like i feel like that's the best time to probably move to another country to stays when you're young enough to sort of you know you're young enough so that you have time by the time you're you need to make money or whatever you already are immersed in the culture and stuff yeah yeah also it's like you don't have as much there's a pressure of school and stuff but there's not the pressure of like what are you gonna do with the rest of your life that much you know when you're yeah. I was, I think it was like a couple of days after my 20th birthday, I moved, I think. Because oh, I remember yeah. here you can buy beer from 20. And then like <laughs> in the US, I was 21. I was like, oh, this is great. Like best of both worlds. I get a one year head start, you know, <laughs> like going to bars and stuff. Because <laughs> by the time I got back, I was 21. Like, oh, this is great. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. 
yeah and that's exactly what i mean is like you don't have that pressure of trying to figure it all out and i feel like um in my case too i started music early enough where i built my fundamentals um before i even had to worry about making money from it or whatever you know from yeah. like 16 to 19 or 20 um and it sounds like you did too and so did you just kind of never stop making music and then it just started to work or yeah exactly <laughs> like uh i've always been like messing around tiddling with something at all times and what actually happened was like after i moved here um so i moved to osaka for a school which is like okay. right now i live in nagoya nagoya is uh so japan has tokyo is the biggest city osaka is the second and then Nagoya might be the third. It depends on who you ask. Like some people say it's third, some people say it's fourth. But it's around the third. It's one of the big ones. But yeah. there's another city called Yokohama, which is next to Tokyo, which some people say is third. But like, it's just part of like everyone who lives there is working in Tokyo, so it doesn't count. I think if you live here, then people say that. So, uh, so it was in the second biggest city then, and I was coming from Louisville, which is like not a real big city like there's a scene but it's not a big city so mm -hmm. when i was making that kind of like i guess it's close to ambient like whatever kind of songs i was making like with keyboards and stuff at the time um i didn't know too many other people that were making the same like something in the same kind of world like uh i'm sure there was some out there and i'm old so like you couldn't really just find it on the internet like at that time mm -hmm. you know there wasn't spotify or youtube or anything to find you had to like really go to the record store and it was kind of hard to find like if something's going to be good just by judging like the cover at the time you know like but when i moved here um there was a real big scene for like exactly the kind of stuff i was making already i think like yeah here it was called it's a lame name but it was called electronica and like oh, yeah. that yeah. of electronica in japan for me felt more like um kind of analog and round and warm and nice stuff like that so mm -hmm. and they had it on the listening stations like if you went to the record stores like uh do you have tower records there i uh, know but i think i know what you mean where they had uh the records like sort of lined up and then you could just throw headphones on and yeah. listen to it so here it would be like there's a wall of the cds and then they're just like already set up you just press the one and it'll like play yeah. automatically on the headphones and stuff so and the Tower Records in Osaka, they had like all of these like really obscure like American bands and stuff. Like that I never heard like when I was in America. I had to come here to find like these other people. And like, oh, this really fits like with what I'm doing. I want to be friends with these guys. So yeah. like it was kind of a weird like circular thing, like going far away to find something like from where I was from, you know? So oh, that's so interesting. That really like made me think like, oh, is it, there's something here kind of like I can keep going with this a little bit. I feel like that's even sort of I don't want to say stigma because I don't know if it's the right word, but sort of how a lot of people see Japan and their sort of music scene now is they're just really in touch with all like the experimental, maybe, maybe experimental um, sort of just out there music, you know, like it's almost pushed you know, to explore music more than it is maybe here and yeah. in America, at least. I mean, I'm sure now with the internet, it, you can find anything, but yeah, I feel like it's just more uh, commonplace there. Do you know, um, 
do you know the thing like the genie divide? Like there's like, um, Canada's another one. Canada's kind of like here, I think like where people are pretty equal, like uh, money wise. But like if you go to some place like America, like there's a big gap between like super rich and super poor, right? There's a yeah. kind of genie divide in music listening here in Japan where like most people don't know any music whatsoever. <laughs> like uh, whatever is like BTS or like the most famous thing that comes on like a lot. Uh, yeah. They're just like, oh, I think I've heard that. Okay, I like that, like without really thinking about it. And then there's like a small percentage of people who are absolute maniacs and like know everything about it too. So there's like yeah. a really crazy like divide. There's not so much in the middle, but like there's a record store here in Nagoya that um, I've been playing shows out a little bit lately. And I went there the other day and like one of the records on display was my friend from elementary school, like just randomly. Like, wow. how do you have this here? I don't think anybody in my hometown has this one. <laughs> uh, actually, some people have it, but like, uh, like that's so crazy. Why do you have it? And then like another day I saw a guy wearing the t-shirt from some other band from Louisville, like yeah. from when I was in high school or something like why do you own that t-shirt? Like <laughs> such a crazy divide between that. And then like, just the random, like not knowing. Anything. Yeah, for sure. And you know, when you go into a record store here, I, I might have not found the right record stores, but they're still selling just, you know, the, the top 40 hits, you know, they're, they're not yeah. pushing anything. And, you know, from Japan, they're the only uh, sort of music stores or record stores that actually order my music or, and a lot of ambient. Oh yeah. Like, They'll, they'll bulk buy it you know yeah yeah for the stores like you don't get that here or in america yeah for sure i kind of thought cds might not sell and stuff that much but we still get like the order for like bulk cds from them like yeah that's what months. i'm talking about like it's amazing and actually i feel like cds now are selling better than vinyl almost oh yeah at least at least for me my my records don't sell anymore i don't know what's going on uh you made did you make them all on vinyl all of your albums or uh almost now oh. yeah 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 uh, at least like the major ones that i really wanted to push yeah uh, i think there's like six or something now wow um, I, i'm gonna have to put in an order i have to put in an order later i gotta look at <laughs> there's something i never really looked in for you guys have you guys pressed a lot of records or or mostly cd and cassette maybe uh just uh mainly cds and then i've always had really bad luck with records like uh mm. we only had two uh, let's see just two so far a seven inch well the very first thing we released was a seven inch a split yeah. seven inch. it's so cool looking because like, it's clear yeah but whoever was in charge of mastering this like i think it was a place in like Prague or something like was listening to our song on it and then halfway through like this is too quiet and just like turned it up in the middle <laughs> so when you're listening to the record it's like really quiet and then all of a sudden like halfway through it gets really loud and that's not oh, how man. i made it so amazing that, that was the very first record and then uh <laughs> it had like one 12 inch so like one of the songs like kind of a 12 inch single with like dj remixes and stuff on the other side mm -hmm. but probably the way i made that song like the hi-hat forgot what i used to make it was just like a click like it's, it's like instead of like a real hi-hat it's just like a really harsh like ch -ch -ch kind of sound yeah. when it's coming through a record it kind of sounds like it's skipping so i have a box <laughs> so i don't I, I never even tried to sell them like i don't know if i want everyone to hear this that much. oh man the remix I mean, side's good. <laughs> yeah for sure um man i i want to 
press more seven inch and 10 inch though because i've always only done 12 inch i mean i mean i'm talking about all this but the whole vinyl manufacturing industry is in chaos right now right because of the virus because like they can't get the stuff or they can't get the yeah. things they need for it or yeah exactly so wait times for manufacturing is like 10 to 12 months oh yeah you know i'm hearing stuff like people are wanting to put out records now but it's not going to be out till the middle of 2022 and stuff and they put in the orders like four months ago it's nuts it's so crazy because i felt like we finally got away from having to wait for that (laughs) like you know like for a while like making like cds or whatever you know like oh god i have to wait like for for them to press it like now like you can just upload it as soon as you're done if you want like oh it's great like it's just so immediate that suddenly people are like no i want to wait I'm sure there's a good thing about it, you know, the patience of it. But yeah. it used to drive me absolutely crazy. I hate waiting to put my music out after it's done. Do you like your songs six months later? If you make no, but I like it four years later. Oh, yeah. You know what good. I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I won't listen to it for, I don't know, two years. And then I'll go back to it and I'll be like, oh my, how did I come up with that? Like, that's- <laughs> pretty cool actually you know actually me and my partner Chantel did that today with an older alias of mine before I was Alaskan Tapes and uh I was so surprised that I was able to even mix that well you know like I thought in my mind I was like everything's so amateur back then but um do you ever like go back and listen to your older stuff not on purpose but uh, (laughs) I get a um uh not like I'm not just like sitting around, you know, it sounds good right now. Some volatone, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> um, I get a lot of requests for like, um, like video stuff. Like, Oh, do you have anything that would fit this? Like a song. So I have to go through and like, I wonder if this would work. Like I listen to the songs quickly to see like, if it would fit like with a video that someone's looking for a soundtrack for like pulling for stuff. Sure. Yeah. So I hear snippets here and there. <laughs> Oh, amazing. You actually remind me a lot of um, like Keith Kenneth in the way that you do your syncs. Um, it, like going on your website, it really reminded me of that. And I'm wondering how you did. Did you just kind of stumble into that? Like people all of a sudden just came up to you asking for that? Yeah, yeah. Like for uh, like syncs and licensing. Yeah, yeah. So um, just like people wanted to use songs that were on the albums and stuff in the beginning. And I Oh, okay. This is great. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so like, uh, let me think about how it started. The best one was, um, I would, when I first moved back here after university, so like I moved one time for studying, I had to go back for a year to the U.S. to graduate. And then as soon as I graduated, I moved here, like with a visa to teach English, like in, um, public schools. So there's like a program, like they take newly graduated people and you can teach English, like this junior high and high school kids. Um, I was doing that and I didn't hate anything. Actually, I kind of liked it. Like it was fun. Like, I don't know. I never wanted to be a teacher that much, but it's kind of fun being in the school. And like, I liked playing basketball with all the kids, like at lunchtime For and sure. stuff, you know, like all, sure. kind of, like, all that stuff was really fun. Uh, and then like, I secretly like got on the school computer one time and like checked my email. Like it's something there was some uh, tofu, ad in korea that wanted to use one of our songs i'm like oh yeah this looks great and i was like god this pays more than being a teacher all month like i don't have to do anything it's so much more fun like being making music than like being here like 
playing basketball is cool, but uh, I don't want to discipline anybody or anything, you know? Like, I don't want to get mad at kids who don't do their homework. Like, I don't, I don't care if you don't do it. <laughs> so a couple of things like that added up. And then I had, like, um, a chance to uh, give a talk about, like, doing that kind of music stuff. I don't know, actually, hold on. It was, like, half bit of a talk and then a concert at this uh, festival in Paris called Off with a bunch of Fs, <laughs> Off Festival, which is for, like, uh, um, animators, uh, graphic designers, and then, like, uh, mo motion designers. Lots of motion designers do stuff. Mm -hmm. So this would be, like, such a great... They were going to pay for me, Yoshimi. Uh, our son was two then. I think he was two. And then we said, like, oh, we'd love to go, but we have to have a babysitter. They're like, okay, we'll pay for a babysitter, too, so we could get my wife's mom, Yoshimi's mom, to come, <laughs> too. Like, like, this is going to be great. But it would be, like, when there was a school, like, when school would start back. It was just when I was going to renew the contract or not. Like, okay, this sets it, like, I'm going to quit the teaching job just for this ticket. Like we weren't getting any other money, just the like paid trip to Paris, you know, yeah. like this has got to be a sign. Like, like if uh, it didn't work out, I could do it again. Probably no problem. I think so I quit and then like I uh, went to Paris and came back and then we had a two year old. So, okay, I really have to focus now. So that kind of made me think like, I know like just making songs, like whenever ideas come to me, like really start working on like treat it, Kind of like saying treating it like a job doesn't sound so poetic, but you know, like treat it, take it seriously. Like, yeah, really, absolutely make songs like almost like the way people would do like a craft. Like, if you're really into like carving, or I don't know, lots of authors seem like they go write every day, even if they don't have an idea. So, they do like that instead of like typical band idea of like just kind of messing around and then if an idea comes, go to the studio. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that because, I mean, the way that you make me or the way that your music sounds, and even the way that you produce your videos on YouTube and show it, like you give off a very <laughs> masterful way Not of me, making. Me. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, you know the OP one, fantastic, like better than anybody I've I normally see. Oh my God, I must be a great editor then because I have no idea what I'm doing all the time. I love the OP1. And then like, yeah. I'll go through a period where I use it quite a bit and I'll get kind of good at it again. But if I am away for it, from it for like two weeks, I totally forget like all the good ways to do it. <laughs> I'm always thinking like, it's, it's a waste in my hands. Like uh, you could do so much more with this. No, on from the outside, it looks like you know everything about it. And, and just the other synths that you use, I, it must be... I don't know, maybe it's the video quality or something. Oh, man, <laughs> yeah. okay. But even just the, your your stuff is very clean. I think that might be it too. And um, at least a lot of it is very clean. And when there is sort of grit and dirtiness to your music, it's very, it sounds very intentional is yeah. what I'm trying to say. And yeah, but wait, wait, that's <laughs> actually something I wanted to talk to you, ask you about. Because when I hear your songs, like, like, I think you're a master of having, what would be the word for saying it? The incidental noises in an instrument, like like the sound of a bow on a string is like mm. so clear and beautiful that it makes it feel like it's really right there in front of you. I think you're really great at that. Like, 
I want you to teach me how to do it. <laughs> like uh, <laughs> the secret is to forget everything you know about mic placement and yeah. mixing and just <laughs> just go for it. Do you worry about mic placement and stuff? I do, do on like the piano I really do. Mm-hmm. But on instruments I don't know how to play. I don't yeah. mind so much because then you like you're saying you get the grit on the bow and you get yeah random noises and stuff and it's something that i don't come come across every day so i'm like i want that in there because it's so unique to me um yeah but yeah that's just the way i do it i think i just don't have the i don't have the knowledge for it <laughs> i never think about the i know i should but i never really think about where to put the mic like the best way <laughs> you know like i just yeah. like oh here it is okay and then like kind of move the guitar a little bit forward or backward like but i don't know oh, absolutely. there's like a sweet spot or something right supposed to be yeah this is the thing when when you hear a lot of people talk it's almost like they're making stuff up sometimes i think so too yeah <laughs> everything like there's no way you really know that like <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. like you know the the exact measurement between each microphone and they're the exact same height and phase is perfect it's like i know people are uh very particular about especially with phase when you're using two mics but personally i don't even worry about it because i've never noticed anything wrong <laughs> I don't really use two mics too often, but I have a feeling like phase might a little bit of phase might be kind of cool, like phase problems. Like uh, that mm-hmm. might be what makes it sound special. Oh man, do you yeah. want to see? Uh, can I show you one thing I do know about like recording guitar? I don't. This is gonna be uh, absolutely. So like, I was thinking about it. it. Would be funny to have a a series of things called like um, what would I, what was I gonna call it? Inelegant but effective. <laughs> solutions <laughs> so like i have a lot of these like really inelegant but effective ways of like doing things so this guitar has a this kind of like out right but it has a really bad hum that comes through no matter what like i tried to get it fixed and no one could do it and then i like tried to resolder it myself and it just made it worse but i found this copper tape there's like this really ugly copper tape around and i uh did this test where i like connected the copper tape to the metal part of the output and then made it run all the way up the back of the neck. So as long as my thumb is on here at some point, I never get the hum of the guitar. And then like, uh, I can just record straight out of here. It sounds better with a microphone sometimes, but like if you're in a hurry and you got to record something quick, like just plugging yeah. it in is so great. This is my this is my second best, uh, what was it? Inelegant but effective uh, solution. But do you want to see the best one? Absolutely. God, I wish this was on a video right now. Okay. So last month or maybe two months ago, I had a concert and like just before then I accidentally tripped on the cable. I like hit the cable that was plugged into it and knocked this guy down on the ground. And the part okay. where you put in the battery fell out right here and it broke off part of it. Like, so now I couldn't use the preamp if I can't stick the battery in and like, Oh God, the concert's in a couple hours. What am I going to do? I'll try taping it and nothing worked. But I figured out if I cut off the end of an eraser, like I made a small sliver of an eraser and just jammed it in there as hard as I could. Now I, now I have this stuck. So this is my favorite guitar, but it's like half copper tape and half like jammed in erasers and stuff. Like oh that. my. Are you able to explain why the copper tape stops the hum? Because I have no clue. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, but this might be wrong. So I'm not an expert, but like it's a grounding issue. So like... Lots of things like have a problem with uh, grounding and I don't totally know what grounding is, but it's when you have 
what are the plugs in Canada like? Are they the same as the US? Like, uh, yeah, like three prong. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the, if you have the three one, the one on the bottom is the ground. And that, yeah. that goes to somewhere outside of your building into the dirt, actually. Like that's mm -hmm. like what kills the hum on lots of stuff. And lots of places here, like I am renting this apartment for the studio here, doesn't have a real, they only have a grounding for uh, air conditioner and the refrigerator. <laughs> so like, it's kind of hard. I don't know, like people don't use the ground stuff here that much, maybe. I don't know the reason why. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so there's that kind of problem. But if you use this, your body becomes a ground. Like your body has a, a something about the electricity in your body like counts yeah. and it, it sends that extra grounding through, through your body instead of like through the audio cable. Yeah, what you're saying is, you know, <laughs> bringing up very short little snippets of like grade eight science class. And I'm like pretty much understanding what you're saying. <laughs> because I have to dumb it down enough that I can understand it. Really, like if, I just try to figure it out by watching the YouTube videos. And then there's like a big spectrum of like nerds who go too in depth and then like people who are wrong, you know? So like the goal is to be somewhere in the middle. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. That's amazing. I mean, I would have never, if I had a hum in any of my instruments, I would have just been like, well, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's the end it. of that yeah. one. Or tried to work through it, maybe EQ out the hum and then make it sound horrible and thin. But, yeah, uh, yeah, but uh, oh, wait, what were we talking about? Oh, that incidental noises. I like the like wherever you're putting the mics, keep them there. Like that sounds really great. Like I love like when I hear your songs, it feels like you're in the room. Like they don't feel overly compressed or like. I don't know. No, I don't know how to use compression, so nothing's compressed. Yeah. Oh, great! You know? <laughs> <laughs> like um, I went to school for music production. Oh, really? Um, but the problem is, is that I thought I knew everything. <laughs> so, so I didn't learn anything back then, you know, and I regret it all the time because I seriously open up a compress like a compressor and I don't know what I'm looking at. <laughs> I just... good though. Like, uh, it could be good. Like, uh, like yeah. you can like use it in the wrong way, which makes it kind of interesting. Exactly. And I, I use the, uh, the whole, um, ignorance is bliss kind of thing when it comes to a lot of music production because i don't know what i'm doing wrong and if i can make things sound right it doesn't really matter if i'm doing it wrong yeah so i always feel like if you get an instrument or something like the first day first two days with it sound the best when you don't know what's going on at all and like you're really surprised mm -hmm. by everything that happens and then exactly. a couple years go by and then if you happened to get really good at something, I bet it's great again. I haven't got really great at anything, yet, but if one day, if I get like really good at something, like uh, I'll probably feel really nice about like being a master at it. Like, I mean, it's surprising for you to say because, like I said, your your music is so clean, and I think everybody aspires to get sort of your sound because it just sounds like it's just so professional. I get yeah, professional is the right word. This is a it's great to hear from somebody else like because i only hear it uh when i'm making it so i hear like the first worst version of it and things like that yeah but i don't know when you hear the next album i'm working on you might <laughs> might have changed your mind because i'm trying to record it doesn't using like just cassettes and stuff so it's the total that's the best right like getting all the uh i don't know, just the noise of the cassettes and stuff like that's something i've gotten into over the past couple of years more and more 
Um, and honestly, now with your sample packs, I don't even have to throw anything through the cassette. You know, <laughs> like if I'm making a pad, yeah. if I'm making a pad, just put the, the clarinet cassette sample yeah. pack underneath it and there all, there's all the noise. Oh, you yeah. Know? And Whoa. I do that all the time. Like it's on probably like over 10 tracks now of mine. Oh, really? Least. One day, yeah, I use... tell me, are they the ones that are out or are they? Like... Uh, I th- yeah, most likely. Any of uh, the, my like main drone tracks or, mm-hmm. or ambient, um, they're all over that. If it's in the, if it's underneath or if it's forefront. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Sure. It's so crazy to hear like something like that, that you made, like getting used in nice things, like on the other side of the world, even like, uh... yeah. True. Yeah. I mean, I, I was talking to, to Chantal about it. And honestly, like the fact that you put them out for name your price yeah. is is huge. And any any uh, music makers or producers listening to this right now, just go look up Lolotone sample packs, because although they're not as um, sort of customizable as like, say, a Spitfire or whatever, yeah. they're just as as important to me. Like I, I open up your sample packs more than I'll open up any, any Spitfire. Really? Wow. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I try to make customizable in a way, like, I don't know how to add all the knobs to it. Like if you buy a, like a really slick, like professional one, there's a way you can add all the knobs. Like, so it's easy just to move it around. But I, mm-hmm. I think I have it. So if you press like the button that looks like a wrench on the side, yeah. Yeah. That you can do it all inside a contact if you want to like to change a filter or something. So I think if yeah, you buy like some other ones, they don't let you do that. Like they don't let you go to like, I don't know what the wrench button's called, but they don't let you hit the wrench and then like really toy with the sounds and stuff. But my idea was like, uh, you can really dig into just, I don't know how to make the knobs. So to, yeah. do whatever you want. I mean, even just like the, uh, the different sort of sounds that come with your sample pack. So like in the, in the cassette clarinet one, you have five different sounds and you can open up all of them and then, mix them all together to get oh, yeah. to get really cool like you were saying phasing issues and and all this and it actually sounds really really cool like i oh. doubt anybody else will have the particular sounds that i'm dialing in and i think that's so cool. oh, yeah. like they're extremely useful and everything and how did you even get into that were you just making your own sort of sample packs for yourself and then you were like i might as well share them or yeah yeah so like uh, I always like recording that kind of sound, like making samples. And um, the way I got started when we were talking about like Casio keyboards and stuff in the beginning was with the Casio SK-1. Do you know? It's like a sampling keyboard. Oh, yes. Yeah. It looks like so like you can record like a short like one second. But I found like a couple of those in the thrift store for like two bucks each or something. And like that's the way like I made songs for a long time, like record a sound into there and then play it like mm-hmm. before I knew how to do the computer. And uh, so f- maybe starting from there, I just like the sound of like recording a real life thing and then playing it by a keyboard a lot. So like a lot of our songs are like that, like real life recorded stuff, but then played in a way I can't get my fingers to do it. <laughs> like yeah, on, on sure. guitar or something. <laughs> uh, so I was doing that for a while and I thought like, oh, it might be a fun thing to try to see if I can make these kind of sample packs, like to share with other people just to see if there's an interest in it and I don't know if I can do it. Like I hadn't really made them in contact. I mainly use 
Ableton for doing most stuff. Oh, okay. And so I would make up samples in Ableton a lot, but that would be kind of interesting to learn how to use contact like that. Yeah. And then it ended up uh, a lot of people will get them. Now, so. they're, they're amazing. And then I only just recently got the OP one and I, I think I reached out to you for it. Um, I didn't know that you had them for the OP one as well. Like I still oh, yeah. don't know how it works yet, <laughs> but you just drag it. Um, you plug your OP one into the computer and then mm -hmm. it looks like a hard drive and then you drag it into, I got a synth folder. If I'm looking at it, I can remember. I think there's like yeah. <laughs> one of the folders in there is synth, and then you just drag it into there. But that's amazing too. Like it's so cool. Have you sampled sounds into your OP one, like uh, a real life thing into the OP one? Yeah, then... you know. So I had the organelle before the OP one. Oh yeah, Everyone... that's that's essentially what I use the organelle for. Like oh, I don't know if you use ORAC or anything. Um, the whole user development uh... stuff. I use the simple version, <laughs> like uh, whatever the first kind of stuff was. But everyone says Oroch's better. It looks like it's going to take a while to figure out, so I didn't get into it yet. I mean, it essentially just turns your uh, your organelle into an OP1, right? So that you can actually oh, yeah? okay. um, put effects onto your synth sounds without recording it first or whatever. Yeah, you, using a pedal. But uh, that's what I mainly use the organelle for is sampling uh, because... They you can essentially sample an infinite amount of time, and with the OP one, I think it's maybe a fifteen second um, total. Six if it's a synth kind of sound like a melodic thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's six, and then if it's like a drum, maybe it's fifteen. Like uh, yeah, and I, really, I might be wrong. I really like recording. So like, let's say I'll record the the C and the G of of. Um, the cassette clarinet and then i'll open up like an old for arnold sample pack and i'll play a higher octave up on that and then i'll stretch them out over like the separate notes individually over like maybe mm -hmm. two three minutes so there's a lot of silence oh uh, yeah and then record the whole thing into the organelle and then pitch all that down and also play all the different keys so that it's like a huge pad but it's oh yeah, yeah. continuously looping without being too crowded because there's lots of space in between the notes. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's I just, love that. It's yeah. just something I can't do on the on the OP1, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. it's the same concept as your video, the, the using TikTok to make ambient, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. That was a good one. That was maybe one of my favorite ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Like, I gotta look at that one again. You have the original sample speed and then you put it down 50% and then maybe 25% and... You know, there's the different percentages that make up fifths and thirds and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah. It's the it's the exact same concept. And I love that so much. Like you can make whole tracks with that, really. That's how I did the seven inch I was showing you like earlier. The first one is that. Like I recorded some uh phrases onto a SK one and then played like higher, probably like play a C and a G at the same time. So then you get that kind of polyrhythm like between the notes, you know? Yeah. So usually C and G or C and F like yeah. will sound good together, you know? And then uh, this record a couple of different versions of that like layered on top of each other. Mm -hmm. It's so great, right? Yeah. But this is limited to like, I forgot how long it was. The maybe one point something seconds, the SK-1. So like, oh, wow. Yeah, it's not very long. Is that the one that like, um, I don't know if you know, but um, like Sigaros use, uses a lot and like Bonnie Vare? They might have. There's a better one called, uh, or better, like, 
it can do longer. Uh, Yamaha V VSS thirty, I think. VSS three hundred. VSS something. That might be what I'm thinking of. It's VSS number, but it's the same concept, right? It's yeah. This one's really cool too because you can make tones too. Like it has a, you can synthesize your own tones out of a, a sine tone. Essentially, there's oh. a sine tone, and then you can add harmonics to it, and then do, do like uh, envelopes to it and things like oh, that. Wow. That's really great. Next time, if we do, we'll do it with video, and then like uh, I'll show you like what, what absolutely it looks like, like how it the whole reason I'm not doing it with video is because I didn't think anybody would be be interested enough to actually do it but i guess i should have known um but yeah i actually i actually wanted to go back to the whole sync conversation and licensing um and you seem to be in a very lucky i don't want to call it lucky but a lucky um situation because you started really early with very film friendly music like your music is very uh you can really picture in your head like scenes and everything um and so you pretty much got to bypass almost the you know companies that sort of do mass licensing now where you've actually built relation a big enough portfolio for people to actually come to you directly where i i'm like with a a company called music bed um and i was wondering yeah do, do you work with those type of companies as well or or do you mostly just do um your own licensing uh i would say mostly my own but then uh there's another one it's probably similar to music bed i don't know music bed that well but there's one called marmoset oh yeah yeah, yeah. you know marmoset uh we have i have a lot of like unreleased songs with them so oh, like cool. they're like not ones that are on the album but uh there's so many songs like that aren't on albums you know like hundreds and hundreds so like they have i don't know 50 or 100 of those like that they use for things like time to time so that's really great like i don't i love the idea of that like you don't have to do anything like stuff just works out you don't have to talk on the phone with people and (laughs) negotiate things and all the like non-musical kind of side of things so that's good but i also do a lot of like custom stuff so like yeah like a lot (laughs) a lot (laughs) uh always juggling a ton of that like i mean my head's a scatterbrain like uh hodgepodge of like different things happen at the same time so that's kind of fun like because it makes you try things that you wouldn't normally do in an album you know that's pretty cool and one thing that's kind of nice about that is like sometimes you try stuff that didn't work for whatever that custom project is like you make two or three songs and they use one and you have the other two sometimes i can flesh those out and then like give to marmoset to like have in the catalog maybe it'll fit somewhere else that i don't even know about in the future wow yeah I have to do more of it. Like <laughs> I have so many unfinished, like, oh, if I just mixed it, this would be done kind of things. But I always want to make new stuff, you know? It's kind of hard to yeah. go back. On, like, Absolutely. And I think that's something I should get into too, is like going back through my catalog that I just left unfinished, you know, because it wouldn't fit on yeah. the album or something and really give it to those licensing companies because the only ones that are on there are my like album tracks and whatnot. Yeah. It's pretty fun, like the other ones, like ones that you uh, you didn't expect people to hear. Because I don't think like occasional listener, uh, probably most people find you through like Sp- Spotify or mm-hmm. like Apple Music or something. You think yeah, like ninety eight percent. 
like random people aren't going to be like searching music bed for your songs you know yeah, so like true. you can put something that doesn't fit like with the rest of what you do like and it's kind of fun like to branch out and try new things there for sure yeah you can put things that are completely out of your style even and like yeah well now i kind of want to go on to marmoset and go through your your catalog <laughs> And totally now you were like you made that because like, I, I like I was think I, I gotta listen to the ones that are on there but I think I'll stand by them like <laughs> I think they were pretty good one of them was like a, a really funny sound I was like I don't think they're ever gonna want this one but I was just sending in a bunch of tracks at once and was like I think I recorded just like kind of sound into a keyboard and played like a really silly melody one time I'm like ah this is so ridiculous but it is kind of funny ended up uh through Marmoset, like Apple used it on some like Apple's like Instagram campaigns or something wow. one time. Like I would have never in my million years, uh, never in my life or in a million years, like imagine like anyone would ever want to use the song for something. Wow. So like, oh man, your your music definitely is perfect for that. Though, like I could see so many companies grabbing your most quirky track and just uh, going with it. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that happens quite often. I like making. I don't. Uh, it's not cool, but I like making silly stuff sometimes too, you know? It's so cool. And like lately, I don't want to, yeah, yeah. I don't want to always put the silly things on the album, yeah. but like it is fun, like making like drones and stuff are like real soothing and it's fun to make, oh, fun. it's interesting making drones, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes when you happen on a new sound, it is kind of, fun isn't exactly the right word, but it is fun. Like it's, uh, it feels yeah. nice. But if you just make ridiculous, ridiculous sound like something just really really silly it's fun like, it's, it's like sometimes i like to make that like i don't know what i'm gonna do with them usually but that's yeah. amazing like that's something i don't do at all and i really really should start because even just in practicing with sound design and stuff it probably helps a lot like do you find that you make music every day or most days yeah um almost every day making something so like uh i have to make stuff for like the work kind of things like i was saying yeah. earlier a lot yeah. of days so i have um this is like a, where i am right now is our studio it's just an apartment that's like five minutes from our house like uh, <laughs> i rent another apartment and then like uh so it has the feeling of being like in a house instead of being in like a studio studio yeah. you know so i come here every day and then like as long as i come here i start messing around with things like uh recording and trying out lots of techniques i think a lot of times i'll just like mess around with something and then take it pretty far and then not do anything yeah. with it afterwards yeah. <laughs> so like i make a lot of songs but uh a couple of years ago actually you know what it was already five years ago i did this project where um i would get i was getting in the bad habit of making a lot of stuff and then not releasing any of it or like not finishing it releasing it doesn't matter but like getting it like 80% done and then just like leaving it somewhere. So I wanted to release a new song every week for a year. So in 2016, I made a thing where it was like 52 tracks. Um, so it was called Thinking About Thursdays. So every single Thursday, I release a new song. Like, uh, wow. Hopefully based on like some stuff that was going on that week a little bit. So it was almost like a diary. A little bit like of like things that mm -hmm. were going on but not exactly like it's not all like what happened that week but it was such a uh such a good exercise you know for sure. it was like a really like boot camp for finishing things for like 
close closure, like making sure you're done because there was a really, really strict deadline that I put on myself. It's not a real deadline, you know, but like a, a strict deadline to uh, just to do it. Like I'd said I was going to do it and like, I'm going to do it. And ended up like made a lot of songs. Like I would, I would have never made otherwise, I think, you know, like, uh, and then some of the, if I go on our Spotify, like some of our most listened to songs are on there. Like yeah. ones that I wasn't totally sure about releasing or not. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So, like, and I think that's really important for people that are, you know, making music now, no matter how successful or whatever, like it's probably the same thing. Like you were just saying a lot of my biggest tracks, they were not the ones that were like the spot spotlit tracks that I thought were going to be the focus. Right. Yeah. And it, it seems to never be that way. You know, whatever your favorite track yeah, is, sure. it's not going to be everybody else's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was going to ask about thinking about Thursdays. Cause I was like, how did you release a 52 track album? <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> it's too many. It's for the record. That is way too many songs. Like, uh, lately, like I'm going through, like listening to like old records on Apple music or Spotify or something. And I don't like when it's the deluxe version like lots of like records have like deluxe version and then it's like three disc worth of like demos and stuff i just need like pare it down to the best ones so i think it's asking a lot of people to like think that that would be a good idea for an album but at the time releasing it one by one like i just uploaded it a new one every week to Bandcamp. okay i was just about to ask so you only put them on Bandcamp. And then at the end of it, you put it onto all the distributors? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah. I want to know how it would have gone if you release a track every week on Spotify and stuff, if if the algorithm would have, you know, really gone to your favor. I wonder. That's something I, I think about a lot. Yeah. Is sort of metrics and analytics. Do you got any good tips? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Honestly, <laughs> I guess the only tip is if you can release a track every week on everything you know i I really think that's the way to do it now now um, that could change in six months yeah yeah because uh they'll push the new things to yeah like you i don't recommend that because you know people will get sick of it it's gonna yeah. be so tiring and yeah. yeah people will be sick of it and even once a, once a month might be too much um but i know bands that have done that and done very very well oh, yeah. uh, from from that the thing I liked about this project, uh, that thinking about Thursdays, was that a lot of times if, if we're working on an album, it's uh, like, well, let's see, I have an idea in mind that like, okay, I want it to fit in this world. Like everything's in this atmosphere, mm-hmm. almost to a fault sometimes, like, because you don't want every song to sound the same on an album. But I really like things feeling like they're part of the same film or something, you know, or like, <laughs> it's like a yeah. season of a TV show or something like yeah like that when i was doing that one it was uh 52 of them like you don't want to have 52 things that sound the same so it was like kind of exciting every week to go like a totally different direction or like to gradually go through a direction and then like hit all the seasons and things like that too so like in the summer there are kind of more like beat tracks and then uh autumn has like more guitars and things like that like yeah uh, Wow, even even sort of the names go through the seasons. Like you can almost tell. So number one on Spotify from Thinking About Thursdays is like the first track that you put out for that. And like it went in chron- chronological order. Uh, I don't know, probably. It's, well, let me see. 
I mean, just looking at that. Oh yeah, name. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. When you go on Spotify, yeah, I did them in the same order. Okay, yeah, cool. Because yeah, yeah, how frost grows, you know. <laughs> so it's cold still. Yeah. And then we got Valentine's <laughs> Day and melting snow. Yeah, that's so cool. It really tells the story of of the year. Oh yeah, yeah. And I really, I think it would be really cool just to sit down and actually just go through this whole thing. It's only two hours, even though it's fifty-two songs. Like yeah. It's not that long. So I want to ask about uh, music for museum museum gift shops too, because that's another 52 track album, but it was the same. That was the same idea. Like, uh, did you do weekly? Because weekly. Yeah. Oh, wow. like, oh, I like, I did that for the first one for a week and like, uh, it turned out well, it's not easy, but like, it seemed like it turned out well, you know, like it was a good, and then I had a year off from like, not really releasing anything. Yeah. And then, uh, at the time, Yoshimi and I were doing like all the music part of the songs is usually me. And then if there's like a concert, uh, Yoshimi plays some stuff. She used to do more lately. She doesn't really play that much, but like uh, play together or if it's a song that has vocals, usually she's on it. Okay. So the year after the uh, thinking about Thursdays, we did like the second half of the year. So like about 30 of them one minute versions of our songs like uh that you could play like outside or in different with like different uh instruments yeah. because they had like made so many songs and you forget how to play them and we don't really play concerts and stuff that much so like uh just figuring out like acoustic ways to play tracks like um I'm trying to remember if there are any good ones i like <laughs> i have this kind of robot controlled drum so i can send midi midi to uh these different solenoids that'll like move uh, drumsticks and things. So around Christmas time, we did one of our songs called like, I forgot the name of the song, something about presents, like uh, by hitting all of the presents oh, under the Christmas God. tree. Like, uh, <laughs> like uh, so like there's like, those are the drums. And then I was probably playing like Casio keyboard or something. I forgot exactly what I was playing, but like every, every week, like releasing like a different one minute video that could fit on Instagram of those songs. So it became like kind of like a cool uh, trick like trying to like revisit the old songs Man. so that, that kind of made me think like that's fun going back to old songs and like hearing them in a different way yeah i don't know do you know uh the artist jonathan richmond i don't he was like so it doesn't come to mind uh in the beginning he was famous for um a group called the modern lovers which was like him he was the leader and then uh the guitarist from talking heads was in it but they were oh, like cool people say like, proto-punk like before punk like they were like kind of punk, like a little bit. Like uh, they had these like kind of heavier songs when there weren't that many heavy songs. Really, I think they liked the Velvet Underground a lot and it was just like a harder version of Velvet Underground kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly he switched to his like solo stuff, which became really quiet and soft and just like beautiful songwriting. Mm -hmm. Definitely, if you have time, just check it out. The greatest artist that's ever lived in my opinion, okay, like, uh, the best, best musician, like my favorite by a million miles, like uh, just really heartfelt, beautiful songs that are usually just him and a guitar and maybe drums or something. The later ones, like really simple. But he did a record that was like all of his or some of his old songs in Spanish that I really oh, okay. love. <laughs> like I don't even speak Spanish, but like he just like redid his songs like in Spanish and it sounds so cool. So I thought like we already have a ton of songs. It's kind of wasteful not to revisit them sometimes. And that's what led to the music for museum gift shops. Oh, wow. That's that's just great. I like I feel like your 
creativity in music is just like it's peak maybe other people have these ideas but they do they won't do them or at least they won't share them like the the um, instrument that you made i guess you can call it an instrument the uh spinning bells on the record player oh yeah that yeah. is yeah, so yeah. genius and ever since i saw that i'm i want to recreate it so bad um because oh, i want yeah. to try it with only two easy <laughs> yeah I can record it. Tell me what you want. And then like we can live. Uh, tell me which notes you want. And then yeah, we can set absolutely. Because I, I want to I've been doing more uh, sort of jam videos, kind of like what you do, but less uh, involved. And it would be so cool just to have it in the background. Like I think you've probably done a couple of videos like that where it's going in the background probably. And, uh, you know, you're just playing drones yeah. around it kind of in it's so yeah, cool and sure. like even i mentioned it before but using tiktok for, to make ambient uh your casio drones one where you put your casio on the record player as well uh that was like that's another that's one of the ones i'll put on the good ones yeah, too it's yeah that's so like, amazing like I, I really like how that turned out yeah it, it really makes me when i see those things just want to think out of the box and then i realize i can't i don't have your mind like i don't know how do you even come up with this uh first uh, you're thinking of lots of great stuff too. Well, like, but uh, I think the thing, uh, the thing that maybe you're saying about the way I'm doing it is that it's um, a bit hands-on. Yeah. Maybe, no, hands-on is not the exact, but like. Uh, you're doing things out of the box. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the, if possible, I would like to do something in a way that's easy to understand, I think. Like really just like you, you see a picture of it and like, oh, okay, I got it. Like there it is. That yeah. kind of thing. So there are two two things I like a little bit. Um, first is that if something's like so simple, like when you go to the art museum and like you see like a really simple painting and then people are like, oh, my kid could have drawn that. Like, I love that mm -hmm. idea. Like kind of thing. You know, half of them are garbage, but sometimes you see something like that, like this is amazing and it looks so simple. I could have done it. Like, I love that, like where it doesn't feel too difficult. And then what's the other thing? Or being like surprising, like you understand when you're happy when you figure something out. I like that a yeah. lot too. Like uh, if you can, if there's a way to mix those two, that's really great. I think that's always my goal when I'm like making something. Like uh, anybody could have made it, and then like when you figure out how it's done, like oh okay, I got it. Like <laughs> that's so cool. And it's so funny, even even like um, the most recent sample pack you came out with the Bode Glockenspiel blocks. Um, it's so mm -hmm. funny. Ever since I've saw that come out. I've seen it everywhere. Everybody's bowing xylophones and glockenspiels. And I'm like, how did I not oh, yeah? notice this before? Like, yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a group called Voices 8 who just did uh, redid a slow meadow track and they they uh, bowed an xylophone or, or a vibraphone or whatever it is. And then even uh, Bonnie Vare did yeah. a live show where they were doing it. And I'm like, how have I never noticed this before? And now I have it. Maybe it's in the site, guys. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know that. Uh, but maybe you watched my video, and then like the algorithms, like, oh, you like both xylophones? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, and it's amazing. Now I now I have it. I can literally make music with it, and it's without buying the xylophone or any of the Glockenspiel blocks. What's kind of funny is that the two ones that you brought up, like the um, bells on the record player, and then the bold Glockenspiels, are like things we've been doing in concerts for 20 years oh so for me, it's not like those are like things that yoshimi was in charge of like all the time like boring the glockenspiels and stuff yeah. whenever we'd play so it doesn't 
it doesn't feel like special. It feels like, oh, you've probably already seen it whenever I'm like doing it. It doesn't feel like fresh and new. So it's great to hear like uh, you saying that it was a kind of exciting, uh, like fresh. Yeah, it, it blew my mind. And now I'm like, what else can we bow? You know, like. <laughs> Have you ever bowed a symbol? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's brutal, right? Yeah, I remember. <laughs> it's such a scary sound. I think I saw that in maybe a behind the scenes Foley video or something way back. And I grew up as a drummer. Like that's what I started with. So I was like, okay, let's, let's try this. And then I remember the first time I even bowed a guitar. That was like a game changer because Sigaros does it and a bunch of other post-rock bands do it. And it's just, it's just so cool the way everything works. And then you made a kalimba from your melodica and that blew my mind as well. Oh yeah. <laughs> No, that was a good one. Too. Yeah, that one worked I out pretty well. It's in the same vein as like, you know, uh, maybe these modular synth artists, you know, the way that they understand their instruments and stuff, but you're doing it with more uh, maybe traditional instruments. You're just thinking about them differently. And it's just so cool. Yeah. I had the goal to never try modular synths. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the same with me. They look like a scary thing and like a black hole of money. Yeah. But this week, uh, I've got like gonna do something with teenage engineering and they sent me their the yellow one oh yeah the modular synthesizer so i still they sent it here and now i have it to try out but i'm like scared like what if i love it too much i haven't opened the box yet it's like oh, still wow. sitting here right now okay next time you see me i might be a total uh modular synthesizer nerd like everybody else i know <laughs> i was always like that with uh guitar pedals and I guess oh, yeah. at the end of last year, I finally got the mood pedal. Is it good? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, I hear about that one a lot. Yeah, yeah, even just its like micro loop function is is huge because then you can change the clock speed and then it uh, detunes or not detunes, but it pitches everything differently. Um, mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden now I have the microcosm. I have an OP1. I have an organelle. <laughs> you know, I have everything. Everything you need for uh, ambient music. Yeah, that starter pack. Like, they should make it called like the ambient starter pack. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, I wanted to segue into ambient music, though, and I wonder what is your relationship with ambient music? Because you have a lot of um, jams on YouTube, like like the Casio drums, and you have a video called uh, Tape Mood Number 1. But... Oh, you don't yeah. seem to actually release them, but they're like really high quality ambient music or at least drone music. Oh, yeah. But have you ever thought about actually releasing it or or under a different alias? Maybe. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Sometimes I like making it a lot. Like I have tons of ones I've made. Yeah. But uh, I feel like there's so many people doing it already. And I don't know if I'm adding something new. Mm -hmm. Like uh, that's the thing. Like I. Like I was saying about you, like on yours, you can hear all of those like real, real life sounds on your yeah. tracks that I think separates you from other people doing like drones in a special way, right? Like, I don't know if it's just the music, if I have something like that'll make it special enough every oh, time. It's really interesting to hear. I don't know. I might be you know, harsh on it, but like if it's a video and you're kind of showing how it's made, that's kind of interesting, I think. Like, yeah. Like, if you just listen to a drone and you don't know what's going on, you just think, like, oh, it's the same note going <laughs> Like, if you're a casual listener, right? Like, oh, you got the same note going on here for a while. Congratulations. But, like, if yeah. you, like, you can show, like, I'm turning this knob on this pedal and it's doing this, like, it's sort of interesting for the people who are uh, want to know how it's made to see how it's done. 
For uh, sure. Yeah, it's good. Really, if I had a ton of time, I would love to make a video like that where just annotate every single movement. Oh, I touched this knob and it did this. Like, I think that yeah. would be really interesting. Like, because there's that there's that YouTube channel channel called uh, Knobs actually, right? You know him? Oh yeah, Knobs rules. Yeah, and he's, he's great. He's uh, fantastic. But yeah, and your and your your videos remind me a lot of his too. Um, although you you go off into different sections, he's very uh, yeah yeah. He's found his his niche and is going for that. But seriously, yeah. your those ambient jams or whatever you want to call them on YouTube, they're like better than ninety nine percent of really? oh, the oh, ambient thanks. that I've heard. Maybe I'll make some. I have like huge list of videos I want to make. But I was worried about time, but a bunch of them are like ambient things that I think I'll be really excited to share with you. Like really hands on kind of ambience. Like oh, that I think will be pretty pretty interesting. I hope. I hope. It's really cool too seeing just that you put so much effort into the visual side of of your music, like with your YouTube and stuff. Like you'll even, you know what seems like filming just a day out with, with your kids and stuff, you'll score it. Uh, <laughs> and that is just so sick. Like, I love that so much. I think it's something that everybody's thought of doing, yeah, but just never does it. And then here you are actually doing it. And I feel like that's, yeah. like, the, that's like the punchline of, of you is like, you're doing what everybody has thought of. Yeah. But doing it. Oh, uh, that's like the thing in the museum. Earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I could have done that. Yeah. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Um, I don't. I like the like one uh, of the other slogan was like, "I like making stuff." Like, yeah. <laughs> we like making stuff. Like, <laughs> just like making stuff. <laughs> but uh, so, like, if there's a chance to make things, I think it's pretty cool. Like, uh, a bunch of the stuff in the studio are like things I made. Like, I like doing like hardware kind of uh, not hardware. Like, I built this keyboard stand. Oh, okay. And like, I. Uh, this desk i'm using and like lots of things to make these keyboards stand like a special way like i like building making things so yeah. it doesn't matter if it's a video or a song or a tape loop or like just anything like it's fun making making stuff yeah and and you're smart because you're like di sort of diversifying like you said you're doing the you're doing the videos you're doing the music you're doing you know furniture and <laughs> i think that's something I dip my hands into, but it's like, I don't know, maybe there's something in my head being like, you know, you probably should just be composing some music right now. And, you know, I asked so much about how much music do you actually write? And like, do you play instruments every day? Because I don't. And it's something that, oh, yeah. you know, I'm, it's constantly in my head, like you should be doing this, but sometimes I'll go two weeks without even touching anything. Isn't it scary though, that like, it's something that you love, but then you have a guilt like behind it yeah i know that feeling it's, it's so it's so strange but the the strangest part is that sometimes you just don't even want to do it even though you love doing it at least in my case um have you set up so that it's easy to like turn it on and get started or is that like this is my issue ever since i started getting into more outboard gear um yeah i find that i'm making music i'm making better music less you know because when everything oh, was really? in the box i could yeah. just open fl studio you know, make a synth, make a drone track and play around with that for hours. But now it's like I have to route all my stuff. I have to plug everything in. I have to figure out what pedals I want to use. Yeah. Just, the OP1 has helped with that because you can just kind of turn it on and, and mess around for four hours. It's a total pain in the butt, yeah. like uh, plugging stuff in. <laughs> so I'm trying to make it so things are like set up 
and ready to go. Like that's one of the things I've been focusing on like this year, little by little, like building out these things in here. I like rebuilt this desk the other day. I'm so excited about how it turned out because now everything I need to make a song is like, uh, to make a quick song is like right yeah. here. Like I have a keyboard push, like I can just slide it out and grab it oh, like man. any second. And that seems like it, it made it easier. Like there's less of a barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. So like, uh, you just want to like dig in like as soon as possible. Yeah. My, my main issue is like organization, you know, my wires are yeah. everywhere. My pedals are just thrown around all over know? the place. Yeah. I have to figure out a sort of shelving unit or something. I'm into that, like trying to figure out that kind of problem. I think like a bit of problem solving, yeah. which actually it fits a lot like with the stuff I do for like when I have to make the song for videos, like commercial or something, mm -hmm. they're short like that. You're like, you got 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever. You have to fit everything into here. Like we need this kind of, we need it to start, have some kind of drama resolution all within like 15 seconds, yeah. which is like a, a puzzle, right? And I think <laughs> figuring out the best way to get your wires, like going from place <laughs> to place is a, kind of a similar puzzle yeah. that I really like, like, uh, like just figuring out the best way to like, okay, here it is, like we're ready to go. Absolutely. I went... Next time I'll show you, but I built this really good thing for our concerts now, like where I can fit, uh, how many, I think it's four pedals and uh, an organelle and OP1 and uh, SP44, the yeah. sampler, all fit into this one case. But I built like different risers so that all the cables are hidden underneath it. Oh. So I never have to unplug or plug anything wow. in again. Like just turn on up. I don't even have to turn on the power button. I just plug it in. And then like, it's ready to go because when you play the show, you know, if they're like, I have, nothing is worse than like going to the show and like trying to, uh, in a dark club, trying to figure out what to plug into where, yeah. you know, like, so I have it where I can't even unplug it. It's all hidden underneath pieces of wood. So if I wanted to unplug something, I couldn't wow. like, it's ready to go. That's so smart. <laughs> Those are the best invention. It's better than any song I made <laughs> recently is this uh, way I've come up with uh, setting up our, like, uh, gig, our uh, concert oh, case. Wow. That's so smart <laughs> to do. But I think they all fit in it. As long as you think about it as like a puzzle or something, it's kind of it. Yeah, for sure. Do you know what? Uh, I got this idea years ago, like listening to um, an interview with, do you know Dimitri Martin? He's a comedian. The name sounds familiar. He's really funny. He has lots of like really short one-liner jokes. Um, he was probably, I think he's doing stuff again right now, but like he had a show on Comedy Central 2000, 2010s. I don't remember exactly when it was, but it was really great. But all of his jokes are like so concise and um, just like really well thought out and they have to fit like quick enough to have a punchline. Mm -hmm. And he was explaining like that kind of thing. Like it's like a puzzle or a game or something. When I started thinking about everything else that way, like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Like, as, as long as you think about it like that, it becomes a challenge and, like, not a yeah, burden absolutely. so much. Oh, that's so, like, inspiring just to hear and even think about. Like, I haven't even heard the interview, but I can imagine sort of what you're saying and get to the, yeah. get to the punchline so that you can <laughs> get through it or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How long... Your songs are like, I can't, 
are they like especially long or just like average length they're they're like average length i think lately i've been writing longer music like i have a track coming out that's um like piano and strings uh and it's 11 minutes it's the longest 11 yeah it's the longest track i've written where it's actually um you know written instead of like generative ambient like stuff come out yeah yeah. longer stuff like that because it's easy you just leave it playing um yeah but I don't know. I feel like there's. I'm trying really hard to be able to write good music. You know, it's it's so hard to yeah. do. You know, especially long, long music. It's like impossible. I don't understand how people do it often. <laughs> you know, the new album I'm working on is like, um, basically like since it became like uh, Corona and stuff, like don't really go out and play concerts. So like the first half of it was just sitting at home and like playing guitar, like when kids are watching stuff on TV at home. And like, uh, I really liked playing a song every day and then changing it just a little bit. Cause normally I'm quick to record something like, Oh, this is a good idea. Yeah. And then like record it and then change it in the computer. Like, Oh, actually I want to do another bridge and then like record something else later on. But like staying with the same track, like just with your fingers and strings, like for, months and months at a time like it slowly evolves like just the way you hit like phrasing of certain notes yeah like uh something i'm really thinking about focusing on for this next next album i haven't even recorded most of those i still remember how to play them all but because i play them all the time but i haven't recorded it yet because i almost don't want to finish it like uh i don't want it this process to end because it's fun like revisiting it all the time yeah but that's why i was saying about uh, maybe recording everything to tape, not for the sound of the tape this time, but for the inability to fix it afterwards. So like, yeah, the finality. Yeah, I have um, I have a cassette four track too, so you can like, you know, record different takes and then uh, punch in and punch mm-hmm. out. But lately, I've been doing like cassette on cassette recording. So like, I'll record the cassette A, and then um. I'll be like a guitar and I want to add something to it. I play that cassette back while recording onto another cassette. So after that, they're both mashed together forever. Like there's no undo, no, no undo in it afterwards. Like uh, it's like playing a duet with yourself with your first cassette. So like you record, like record your first cassette and you're using two separate cassettes and two separate machines. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. I get it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. Was it the way I made that songs in the very first beginning, like 30, oh, not 30 years, four, not 40, 20, wait, hold on, hold on, 20 something years ago, yeah. 20, 25 years ago, like a long time ago, before I had a cassette four track, like, uh, this is how I like first learned about like recording, like, this might be a good trick, like, um, I just got to make sure it sounds good. Yeah. Like, don't want to sound too, too tapish like just the right amount yeah for sure oh that's so interesting because the way i came up was on on daws and stuff and on midi and i could just change anything whenever i wanted so actually transitioning to this like kind of the opposite of what you did is what i'm doing and it's it's so strange like knowing that if i record something to tape actually the op1 has been just a real asshole (laughs) <laughs> you know because it's yeah, when you yeah. record undo, like, when you record to the tape on it it's so final you know it's like are you serious yeah, yeah. why can't i just change the midi like i normally can <laughs> you know yeah yeah 
I don't, I've only done one where I was like, I really made a whole song like recording to the tape or everything turned out perfect. Mainly I just use it as like a keyboard or a drum machine or something. Yeah. But people who are good at it are really crazy, huh? Like, yeah. It's a totally different way of thinking. It's so cool too. Yeah. But I, how how old are you? Is yeah, I, yeah. I'm, uh, I always forget, you know, you pass 21 and you're like, I could be any age. I'm, I'm 25. 25. Oh God, you're so young. Yeah. I turned 40 last month. Oh, so really? like, uh, yeah, yeah. So they were like a, a totally different generation of like when we started making the music, right? Like, I mean, it's even so when, when you write a track, you think about it in standard um, sort of structure, like a bridge, chorus, whatever, I would assume. Not, maybe lately a little bit, but for, for a long time, not really. Oh, okay. Like okay, uh, cool. I didn't really care about that kind of, I didn't grow up on like the pop music stuff that much. So I didn't really think about it. I was just like, oh, what if we did this after that? Yeah. Um, lately I find myself going to that. I don't know if it's really bridge or reverse chorus bridge first chord. However, yeah, I don't that works yeah. that much because we don't have a song. We don't have vocals for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which I think is kind of what you need to like, to make the chorus like really big. But I do like having changes in there right now, a little bit more than before. Like our, uh, earliest albums were like really the very first one we did was just like all sign tones, like really, it's not ambient, but like uh, um, abstract kind of sounds. Yeah. And then little by little, have different versions. Like some songs are kind of poppy, some songs are uh, really sleepy yeah. again, like going all over the place. Yeah. So the one I'm working on now, the goal is to make really pretty songs. Yeah. <laughs> like songs, like really pretty. That sounds like a song is that goal right now. Yeah, and that's we'll find out that kind of what I'm happen. working on too. Because when I started composing music or whatever, like I was a drummer, and I didn't know how to play anything else. And then I got FL Studio and I just started playing around. But that was around the time of the big EDM uh, craze in like 2010 or so. So I oh, yeah. even still like I still think of structure as intro, build, drop, second drop, <laughs> outro. Oh, that's a different. Yeah, drop. I've never thought about music uh, with the phrase drop, yeah, but yeah, I still I, do. And I, I guess that's, that's really interesting. I guess it's the same as a chorus, yeah. right? Technically, your songs have a drop. <laughs> I'm trying to think about it now. I'm gonna go back and listen. Like, oh, where's the drop? <laughs> yeah, and essentially for me, the drop is just when the bass slowly fades in, <laughs> you know, or the lower uh, end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now I'm trying to actually do things properly. Um, and it's very tough <laughs> to actually yeah, think yeah. about it. Do you, what kind of do you mainly listen to music that sounds like stuff you make, or do you mainly listen to like EDM from 2010, or like what's your go-to? See, that's the funny thing is like I I came up with that, but I was never really into EDM. I I made drum and bass for a while, but other than that, like I didn't really listen too much, but. My whole life is I've just been a, a metalhead, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, like I was. That's all I listened to when I was fourteen, fifteen, and then yeah, yeah. Started got started getting into more like acoustic based music, and now it's it's like a mix between acoustic based and like ambient metal in there. Sometimes yeah. I'm getting more into like sort of poppy stuff, like the alt pop. Yeah. 
But I can see it with the metal a little bit. I, I wouldn't have thought about it until you said it, but now now I get it. Yeah. I mean, I I find it with a lot of ambient artists that they're all into it for some reason. I, there must be some weird mood thing there. When I was sixteen, I was in uh, like a noise kind of group, like half ambient, a little bit noisy, but not like that kind of like harsh Japanese noise the whole time. Like yeah, tones, but then also weird things happening, like. I mean, we used to use um, walkie-talkies a lot. Like, play something through a walkie-talkie and another walkie-talkie on top of a guitar pickup to, like, transmit it. Wow. And we basically only opened for really intense hardcore bands. Yeah. Because, like, they really liked it. Like, oh, man, this is some spooky stuff you got here. Thanks. That's going to be great opening. So we'd play these, like, really, really intense hardcore shows with, like, uh, I don't know, pretty much everyone had, like, all X, like, straight edge yeah. on the hands and, like, bloody like crazy after the mosh pit kind of things but the first 20 minutes is like these kind of slow tones like leading into it i really loved like that mix yeah uh, and that's what i find too like when i was first actually i guess at the start of alaskan tapes a lot of what i would do is like listen to my favorite songs that were like heavier uh progressive metal or whatever and then i would just kind of throw it into fl studio and pretend that i'm making the outro of that track because a lot of them oh, incorporated yeah. ambient and stuff. And it seemed to work out pretty well. I don't think anybody's ever noticed. Right. So <laughs> it's a good thing. That's great. <laughs> um, now I don't do that so much. But I still get very uh, inspired by sort of like that mood of songs, you know. I mean, actually, with that being said, not so yeah. much anymore. My stuff is very like neutral now, I, I feel like. Whereas before it was yeah. definitely darker than anything. Do you play concerts now? I played... I played my first one literally three weeks before the pandemic hit. Oh, yeah. Oh, so you're just getting ready to get going. Yeah, and I got all excited about it. And then now I'm like, I never want to do another live show. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just too, I don't know, it's too much. And what I was doing there was just playing tape loops and uh, like synth pretty much the whole time. Yeah. And, yeah. and some like ambient guitar. So it wasn't very involved. Were you playing, were you playing uh, when you were like, deep in the metal like were you playing drums at concerts and stuff too or no i you know i, I was just playing by myself because i couldn't deal with bandmates honestly like yeah. i had yeah, been yeah. in maybe two <laughs> bands we never played a show so we weren't really a band but like two groups of people and both of them every time we played i would be like oh my god can i just go home and put on my headphones and play like i do not want to be here <laughs> yeah, yeah um <laughs> so I think that's what really got me into just wanting to create music by myself, you know, yeah. just drum and bass or whatever. And I was just like, well, I can do it by myself and everything only goes through me. So let's just do this for now. <laughs> yeah. We might have had a similar kind of thing going. Yeah. <laughs> but there's something fun. Like I, I wasn't in a metal band, but like, it looks like it would be so fun. Like <laughs> to play a show, like as a metal band or something. Yeah. Right. Like when I was in the uh, other bands, yeah. like, uh, it was real fun playing like with friends and stuff like playing the show like there's a things are falling apart and like people are moving and yeah. all that and then now like it looks like people are appreciating <laughs> like when you're playing i don't that's why i'm not so into like concerts and stuff like i don't it's not fun to go get appreciate to appreciate things yeah. you know like it would be fun to like, go to a sweaty place and like uh people spill beer on your shoes and like all that kind of like annoying i might just be looking at it with rose tinted glasses but like 
uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff sounds more more exciting a little bit. Like if it's a live situation. I mean, it's funny even going to metal shows now, like, or I guess two years ago, um, you know, people, so you'd go and there'd be the pit and stuff like the mosh pit. And it would be so much fun even just watching that and stuff because, you know, the energy is there, right? But yeah. people trying to videotape the show on their phones would be like there and you're oh, like, you don't want to hit right? them. Yeah. And like, I was never one to be in the mosh pit, but like they don't want to yeah. hit them. So the energy kind of goes away. And it's like this awkward um, duality there of people who just want to stand there and videotape the whole thing and people who really want to experience the show. Um, with that being said, we've been watching a lot of live shows just on, on YouTube and stuff because it's the only thing uh -huh. available. And man, that's really made me want to, you know, hire some musicians and get some post-rock stuff going or something, you know, just make a lot of noise on, on stage, blow everybody's ears out. Yeah, probably if you play with a lot of people, I bet it's fun, huh? Again, I would assume. Like, get it going. Yeah, I think yeah. it'd be so cool to get like um, a full quartet and stuff and play ambient stuff with with like jazzy drums or whatever with the jazzy bass but also drones and a and a quartet maybe even a horn section too i think that'd be awesome it's like the dream i could see it sounding really great yeah too <laughs> do you play all the drums on your records yeah yeah i play all of everything except for the strings is it um the set that's behind you like the electric set? Yeah, so I got that, and then I just got a superior drummer, and it does the job, honestly. Okay. There's one track that, like, that the symbol, the symbol sound on it's so great. Like, I was curious, like, how did you record these symbols? They sound so nice. Like, uh, it feels like it has, like, you know, those metal balls that you can put on a symbol, and it just rings out forever. Absolutely, yeah. So I would assume that's called uh, The Times Are Tired. So that one was before I got this kit and I actually went to a studio and the engineer's wife was a professional drummer. So she had these really nice big ride symbols. So I had, uh, I think it was two 24 inch rides and then a hi-hat snare. And that's all I had in the kick. Um, and then the day before I had actually bought off Amazon, like, a, you know what the symbol sits on the sort of, uh, felt, Oh, the felt thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's one that spins en endlessly, right? So you can just spin oh, it. Yeah. And then, yeah, like you're saying, I had the uh, the beads on it. So yeah. it would just constantly be creating that that uh, sort of cymbal wash sound. It spins like if you like, if you like spin it with your hand, it spins forever. Yeah. Or like you push a button no. and it spins like a record player. So this, I was looking for one that spins like a record player. That's That's electronic. Yeah. I've come to learn just from forum posts and stuff that uh, they're too noisy and they're also just not reliable oh. because of the weight of the symbol. So you'd have to get like this yeah. big motor. You know what? I'm After we're done talking, I'm going to like try to use this. I only have a real bad symbol, but I'm going to try to set it up on a tripod on the turntable and see like, yeah. I bet you can do it. Like if you just put on your record, hold on, wait. I can't remember who sort of gave me that idea, but it was an ambient artist on Instagram and I saw that they were making drones out of it because you can pitch them really nice, really easily. Right. Cause they're just pure. Uh, I don't want to, they're not sine waves, but you can get the, the overtones that are, you know? Yeah. yeah. They're really bassy. Um, and I remember even when we were doing the recording of the times are tired, um, the engineer got me to come in he was like, listen to this bass. It was like producing a, a pure sign at, um, I think it was like 48 hertz or something or maybe even lower and i was uh -huh. like 
how is it even doing this? Like, what is going on? And it's just <laughs> a constant, like pure, just yeah. spinning. Yeah, like the yeah. undertone or overtone, or whatever it is. Um, it was super cool. I know sometimes when I put the mic too close to a symbol, like, oh god, this just killed every other sound in here. Like, if you, I don't know, like the best place to put it, if you put it kind of under it or something, I guess it's that kind of like undertone just yeah wash everything else out like it's awesome so i actually took that and made i think i made a, a track on that album just from just from that tone or at least Whoa. part of it um because it was already there right run it through the organelle at the with the fifths sort of oh thing yeah you have perfect you got chords, your track right? done <laughs> yeah exactly but it, oh, the happy accidents like that are so cool that's so fun yeah, I, I wish I could record like acoustic drums more often because now I'm stuck with these electronic drums and they sound great, but you don't get, you can't play them with uh, brushes and you can't play them oh, yeah. with mallets and all that. So one day. I have a set in, in my kid's room. I bought it for me like a long time ago. And then like, uh, and then uh, I gave it, uh, just put it in my son's room, like when he was like kind of big. So thinking he might play with it sometime. He doesn't really that much, but whenever no one else is home, I always sneak in his room and like, play like drums really loud through that kind of like electronic nice. set. It's so fun. Yeah. Right? And then like because it's uh, electronic set, you could put effects on it a little bit. So I don't really have like yeah. pedals and stuff hooked up, but it's going through a guitar amp right now. So I just like uh, crank the overdrive on it and like maybe put the reverb on there and like whatever you play just sounds like the first track on Yeezus. Have you ever heard like that? Kanye's like, yeah. ah, ah, ah. like it's like coming through like it feels like it's just like trying to break the speaker like it's so great to play drums like that oh, and it's so funny too because like i always dreaded um tracking with them because you know you have to go through superior drummer so it's all recorded in midi and stuff and just the other day it clicked that there's a stereo out two stereo outs on on this so i can just literally track it live what's superior drummer like a drum sample or something yeah it's, it's a vst where it has really professional sounding um yeah drum sounds so it essentially replaces the sounds on the module of the Roland kit uh, and uh just gives you i don't know about yours mine's really old one so it's kind of garbage the sounds that are on there exactly but it's fun it's exactly. fun to play but but when you're actually wanting to record it you should probably like it and you're wanting the live drum sound yeah yeah a, a lot of the metal bands are actually using that just to replace the drums entirely on the records I've noticed. Oh yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, that makes yeah, metal kick drums are like that already, huh? Like, yeah, they're all they're all triggered, yeah. right? Ah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's fun stuff, man. Just making music, and you know that's another reason I wanted to do this podcast is because it's, sometimes it's like I don't even feel like I'm not inspired to to do anything, and now hearing from different people and everything, it's just sparking everything back, you know. This is really fun uh, for people like me, whoever's on the other side of the mic, I would assume, like I know for me, because I don't talk about this stuff. I'm doing it all the time, but then I don't talk about it that often, right? Yeah. So then talking about it kind of reminds me like, I should do that again, or I should do two more things like that a little bit. For sure. And like, oh, that was fun. You know, it's like a good chance. Cause I can't like go home and uh, tell my wife and kids about like, oh man, guess how I mic'd up this, <laughs> guess how I mic'd up this drum today, you know, like exactly. they're not that excited about it for the most part. Although it does, like, if, if you do something really crazy, yeah. that's one reason it's fun to, like, try uh, kind of crazy sounds is, like, it does make it a story. So that when I do go home, like, there is something to talk about. But, like, uh, <laughs> I 
I don't think most people like in my life want to hear uh, too many like deep discussions about like uh, frequencies that it hurts or anything, you know? So it's pretty fun to geek out about this kind of Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the exact thought. Like I, I listened to this podcast about um, skateboarding called The Nine Club. And so they do like deep dives into these pro skateboarders lives with them, you know, interview style. And then I realized none of the people in my circle, like people who I consider like genius ambient producers and genius musicians like your, yourself, nobody's talking to them. And I'm like, why? You know, I had only ever <laughs> been asked to be on one podcast before. And that was like four years ago. And so now I'm like, well, I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> like nobody else will. Oh, yeah. Um, That's great, though. But uh all right, before we go, I have, I have a couple more questions just for people who are trying to come up in music and maybe are listening to this. You seem to have a very uh, passionate fan base, bigger than most to, from from the outside, at least, like people commenting on your Instagram, commenting on your whatever. And do you have like a, did you have a system to, to get it that way? Or did, did that just sort of happen naturally over 14 years? <laughs> <laughs> it just happen naturally and really should i should do a better job of like connecting and all that like i know you have to make a mailing list and that kind of stuff but i always think like oh, i'm gonna do it next year like that kind of stuff i haven't done a great job of any of that and like uh, we've been around so long that uh, i've seen like the way different networks like come and go so like when we mm -hmm. first started there was like I don't know, it was before that on something called like mp3.com. And then after that, where bands would put stuff. And then there's uh, MySpace and then like Flickr, like all these like earlier ones before like Instagram and things. Like we worked, we had pretty good uh, amount of people would like write on stuff. And I felt like we had a community. And then like after Instagram came around, like, oh, I don't want to do another one. This is so lame. Like I didn't do it for a couple of years. Now I kind of wish I had in the beginning. Like, yeah. <laughs> and it started like uh, trying it out. So I'm probably the worst person to ask about this because I'm hesitant to join any of them. I think I tweet like once a week or month or whenever there goes something. The worst kind of like Twitter person where it's like, oh, I did this. Look at this. Like you're not involved in the conversation. Um, That's me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like looking at it that much though. Like I put a thing on my phone like, so I won't, I, I took it off this week though. Uh, but I put it where I can only look at Instagram and Twitter for 15 minutes a day, like combined. Oh, wow. and it wasn't, it wasn't enough to write a comment though. Like if I posted something, you got to edit it and write it. It was like halfway through like, oh, your time's up for the day. You can't do it. You can't finish it. So That's pretty uh, smart though. Yeah. I like that. But I had it on there for about a month and like that was enough. Now I like, I don't. Uh, habitually open it anymore like mm -hmm. before it was like have uh five minutes like to kill like waiting in line for something like just open it up and usually doesn't put you in a great mood for the most part instagram's yeah. nice if you see what your friends are doing but i was listening without the sound on because it's like waiting on the train or something you know like so half the things i see are like cool instruments and then i can't hear what they sound like yeah uh, <laughs> so i'd open up twitter and it was people complaining about stuff yeah. So I don't know. I think the best thing is put out the stuff that you think you like and then try to make it authentic and then people will write about it. Yeah. But I'm sure I can do a much better version of it, I think. Did you ever use like SoundCloud? Yeah, I was big into SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. I never got into it that much. So like, I think 
that would have been a good one. I, I don't know if people use it that much now, but it felt like that had like communities and stuff. I feel like it's sort of died. And I think the reason that I was into SoundCloud is because I missed the whole MySpace thing. By the time I even started, it was YouTube and SoundCloud. MySpace had already died. I don't. I think I had only ever used MySpace like four or five times, you know, and that was to listen oh, yeah. to local bands back when I was in grade eight. But yeah, SoundCloud, there was a, an era, it was like maybe 20... 2013 to 2015 it was the best it was just oh yeah booming on there like that's where you found all your music and then then spotify sort of took over and then there was no community left because they don't you know you can't comment on on spotify stuff and all that i think i feel like uh, the only yeah. one left is youtube for actual community oh uh, yeah yeah youtube seems like it's pretty it could be really interesting yeah i gotta get better at it but like seems like if you really focus on it, it's just so much harder making videos than uh, making songs. Yeah. And like <laughs> every time I like spend a lot of time making a video, I think, oh, I could have made so many songs. <laughs> Probably more people would have liked, like it would have been better. I might have enjoyed more too, but I don't know. It's fun making videos. It just takes a while. Yeah. And I've noticed that too, um, because I've, I've been making those little jammy videos. Um and it's so fun just setting up the camera, finding the right angle, setting up two camera angles at the same time. It's like just adds a whole other realm of creativity. But speaking of all that, like I feel like since you started mid 2000s or whatever, um, you're able to really see a, a lot of transitions like from music getting really popular on the Internet to different uh websites like soundcloud and myspace and and then all the way to, to spotify what was it like actually seeing you know those changes as as an artist hmm. yeah i haven't thought about it that deeply really but like i don't know like i know like as an artist you're not supposed to like spotify and stuff that much like <laughs> people say like oh you shouldn't but for me it's been really great like living mm -hmm. here like uh people in other countries can like hear here are the songs we make like really easily which would have been especially with shipping now like it's so expensive to ship stuff to the u.s so it was totally impossible before so like that we were getting like the biggest reach of ever right now i think like the amount of people that listen to songs um i don't know how that how that translates in the real world like because we don't really play concerts yeah. and that much that much lately so i don't know if like it would come to shows or not but like it does feel nice like compared to before that you feel like you have a whole world of possible people who might be interested yeah. in what you're doing. And because making that kind of niche thing, like, of course, everyone's not going to be interested, but there's like a, a better possibility of finding those weirdos that yeah, might like absolutely. it, you know, like, uh, so I think like that's, that's a really nice thing about right now. Having said that, I think like we're pretty lucky, like, I don't know why, like, people found our songs on there like i guess they're searching for it but we didn't we haven't been on too many like big playlists yeah. or anything but i think like uh if you're just starting out i don't know if it's the same like if it's harder to get noticed because there are so many people like out there right now yeah i might be looking at it like happily like <laughs> that's the exact same thing with me i pretty much as soon as it was easy to get your music on spotify my music was on spotify back in like 2015 15 maybe whoa That's yeah really so and it's only because it was like oh wow you can actually make a couple dollars you know um so yeah and i'm sure you were pretty early too um 
so yeah thank you everybody for listening to uh we all speak in poems episode five with uh sean from lolotone and uh if there's anything else you want to say uh feel free yeah thanks for having me this is my first time ever doing a podcast so it was really fun i think this is you couldn't ask for a better one to start on and uh i'm really excited to hear all the other ones you're recording and excited to hear all the new songs you come out with too oh thanks yeah and for anybody listening go to uh lilitone's socials and spotify and stream all of his music because it's uh definitely worth it and you'll get inspired and you know go down his his uh discography and yeah we'll talk to all you soon thanks again for listening <laughs>